so yeah, we got the we got the MLB TV and they have this condensed game feature, which is like NFL Red Zone or something where they just mm-hmm. kind of skip to every play and all you mm-hmm. watch is the action. And mm-hmm. so it's you can go through and, and blow through a baseball game in like five or ten minutes and get just, you know, all the highlights, bang, 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 bang. And I love it. And I'm actually getting to be a real baseball fan because I think we got a good baseball segment for tonight. But then they well, blacked out my local game. I haven't been to a game since the 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 pitch clock, but I will be, I can tell you I'm a fan of it because now games are coming in at two, two and a half hours, Yep, which is pretty much what our attention span is. So well done MLB. Welcome to the Bottle of Brown podcast. I am your host, Danny Paul. Joining me in the Bob Media Studios is the Baron of Bourbon, the Kaiser of Cali, the Liege Lord of Loath, Leon Coventry, ladies and gentlemen. Happy May, Danny. Happy May. It's gonna be May. What what May is it? Mescal. We are recording on the 11th of May and it is Mescal May. That's right. That's right. It is Mezcal May. We are celebrating with the lovely Mezcal. But before we get to that, we need to introduce our other vice host who's joining us tonight. The maestro de Mexico, the Duke of the Desert, the crown prince of the purple. The Mids joins us. Hey, where are the white women at? Who's cracking? What's happening? Bulldog himself. Oh, you still having some audio trouble? What's going on? Uh, he looks like he froze. Yeah. Like, finally went into it. Like, 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 like no, headlights froze or? Yeah. yeah. He's, He's just talking now. The audio. I'm here. All right, yeah. you you join us when you're ready. <laughs> no, he we I can hear him. That is neither yes. here nor there. What is your brown for this evening, boys? Well, I am celebrating Mezcal May, Mezcal uh, May. with one of my only bottles of Mezcal. It's uh, I think I talked about it about a year ago around this time. Mm-hmm. So uh, I have El Silencio. It's 100% agave. Mm-hmm. It is bang for your buck. It is usually going to get you about thirty bucks a bottle, okay. but. Uh, it's it's not it's not the priciest thing in there, but it is 100 percent agave, which means your head will not hurt so bad in the morning. You think so? So, in theory, that's what they tell me. And if you if you read it on the internet, you know it's true. Yeah, as it is, of course. What about you? And, uh, rocking tonight? I got a little gift from Jamaica, man. This is a birthday present. It was cane. It's cane rock. This is really good stuff. It is. Uh, it, it uses real sugar and caramel, and it's delicious. Smooth as hell. What's it called? Uh, cane rock. Cane rock. They make it right by the beach. Buddy. Right near the beach. A lot of mercy. I like it. I like it. Danny, what's what's what you rocking? I am rocking the uh, the mezcal from the Breaking Bad Boys. I'm rocking the Dos Hombres. God damn right. And uh, this stuff is not cheap. So it's kind of a special, special occasion, Mescal. But it's very good. It's very smooth. It is artisanal, as you know. Mm-hmm. Well, I got to be honest. I, I, I enjoy one of these. And that's, and then I got to go back to the bourbon. So if you hear me continually drinking around minute 20, you know that I finished Mescal and I've moved on back to the good stuff. Well, I appreciate you playing back along. To the good part. <laughs> I like it. I just can't drink it in quantity like bourbon. Yeah, it's kind of uh I I enjoy the smokiness of it. It brings me towards my beloved scotch and so I can enjoy um America adjacent <clears throat> brown, let's call it, with the smokiness mm-hmm. and it's magical. But now that we're done talking about brown, what do you say we uh talk about brown? How you doing? Whiskey and whiskey. This is the darkest brown you got. Yeah. Say, Holmes, uh, where they hide the scotch? What about, um, brown? That's code for bourbon. Great stuff, this bourbon. Comes from a land called Kentucky. Talk about brown. There's a special rung in hell reserved for people who waste good scotch. Scotch? Oh, yes, I, I think so. Could I have one more of these with some booze in it, please? Nice brown news comes to us from historydaily.com. Org. This one fascinated me because it's it's May, right? So we're getting into springtime. It's starting to get warmer out here. Uh, but I was very, very interested in the story of Charles Jogan, the chief baker of the Titanic. 
This is an older one. This was published in 2016, but I thought it was good enough for a laugh. Uh, who is Charles Jogan? Uh, depicted in both A Night to Remember and the 1997 blockbuster Titanic movie, Charles Jogan is shown as the drunk guy hanging on to the side of the rail. He was also the chief baker of the Titanic. So when the ocean liner started going down, he knew he wasn't one of the people who would be saved. During the sinking of the Titanic, Jogan and the other chefs assigned themselves the task of bringing food and supplies to put aboard the lifeboats. Along with stewards and other seamen, Jogan helped women and children onto the lifeboats when, after a while, the women on deck refused to go to the boat, saying they were safer aboard the Titanic. He then went on to forcibly brought them up and threw them into the lifeboat. Then he went to his cabin and downed as much whiskey as he could, getting Mm. ready to die. Later, he went down onto the B-deck promenade where he threw about 50 deck chairs overboard so that they could be used as flotation devices by people in the freezing waters. Charles Shogun was the very last person to get off the Titanic, and he got off with style. This picture depicts the Titanic's final moments, and at this point, Jogan was at the topmost part of the ship. He was on the outside of the ship holding on to a safety railing. Yes, the one depicted in the movie. And instead of dying from fright and a massive heart attack, there and then, he rode the ship down like an elevator. He merely stepped off the Titanic into the water and by his own account, didn't even get his hair wet. Here's the best part. Spent three hours in the negative two degree Atlantic Ocean before he was rescued. Normally, that would have been enough to kill anybody. But his body had so much whiskey coursing through it that the alcohol actually fought off the cold and kept him alive. That's why you always stay drunk. This this is a feel-good story. This is the story that people like me need in their back pocket when they're getting shit about drinking. Can I can I spin this into a personal story that I've been dealing with in yes, the last of course. couple Let's weeks? Let's bring this back to you, Leon. It's the most important. I mean, everyone cares about my personal triumphs and, and, and strife. But... My my family has been going through illness. Like it has gone in and out of my house. You want to? It's the stomach flu. It's allergies. It's uh, the head flu. Um, cough. Everything has gone through uh, in the last three weeks. My daughter, my wife, everyone's gotten it. Uh, and my vitamin C is my bourbon every night. I'm like, oh, I'm going to keep drinking this until my body says I can't unscathed through this entire i mean my daughter literally threw up on me for an entire day never got it so i just want to say that whiskey saves lives just like chef here and and myself and i'm pretty sure if they would have prescribed it covid wouldn't have been a thing so all right you heard it here first it's science it's science if you don't believe science hashtag brown (laughs) saves well just think about how many times you hear stories uh, you know, we hear enough negative, hey, this person was drunk and did bad things, but you don't hear enough of the positive, but we know they happen. Like, hey, that person that went flying through the windshield at 110 miles an hour survived. Why? Because they were hammered. <laughs> and their body just like, ooh, no, no whiplash, no nothing. It's like, well, you know, you know the Russians are completely drunk all the time because it's fucking cold up there, you know, and all they got is pierogies and snow and shit. So what else are you going to do? <laughs> Uh, Charles swam around until daylight where he spotted an upturned collapsible lifeboat with second officer Charles Light Toller and around 25 other men standing on the side of the boat. He slowly swam towards it, but there was no room for him. A cook, Isaac Maynard, recognized him and held his hand as the chief baker held onto the side of the boat with his feet and legs in the water. Another lifeboat then appeared and Jogan swam to it and was taken in where he stayed until he boarded the RMS Carpathia, which rescued him. And then there is included here for those of you listening at home. We show, for those of you that are just joining the Bottle of Brown podcast, we'd like to put all the links for all the stories we talk about in the show notes. So you'll be able to follow along. But here is a photo of the upturned collapsible lifeboat that Charles clung to when he was found by McKay Bennett. So that Jack just, would have drank. Look at the horizon. He would have been okay. Yeah. Again, let him on the door, Rose. Yeah. Rose is a bitch. Or, That's what I got out of that movie. Jack should have been down with the chefs having a little brown. <laughs> Would have been totally fine. <laughs> and we really trust his account, though. I mean, he was the drinker, uh, uh, you know. That guy at the top, that was me. <laughs> <laughs> After surviving the Titanic, Jogan returned to England as one of the crew members who reported to testify at the British inquiry headed by the Viscount Mercy. In 1920, he moved permanently to the United States to Patterson, New Jersey, and according to his obituary, was also on board the SS Oregon when it sank in Boston Harbor. He also served on ships operated by the American Export Lines, as well as on World War II troop transport before retiring in 1944. 
Jogan was invited to describe his experiences of the Titanic disaster in a chapter of Walter Lord's book, A Night to Remember. Charles died after a bout of pneumonia in Patterson, New Jersey, Ironic. December 9th, 1956. He was 78. He will be missed. What a great story. Good pull, Danny. Hell of a pull. I, I'm going to get a tattoo of this guy on my ass. <laughs> right next to Peebo Bryson. Peebo! What do you say we... That'll uh... be tough to bring up in conversation. <laughs> Peebo did a bunch of duets, right? Who'd, who'd Peebo Bryson do a duet with? <laughs> oh, dear. That, that looks like the, the, cook, um, the cook in the Muppets. At least in that. <laughs> he's got a little bit of Swedish chef to him. He's got a little Swedish chef to him. For, for sure. I mean, chef, he's a little chef boyardee-ish in that picture, too. He's got some boyardee-ish. Yeah, good stash, though. That's a quality stash right there. That's, yeah. that's lip saver all over. He looks yeah. like a guy who's done drinking. Oh, he certainly looks like a guy who drank a lot. Yeah. Anyway, Brown saves, people. Brown saves. <laughs> there have some Brown news. Let's get to our top story. News! And I got news for you. Uh, side note here. I got a note from Leon the other day that that little <laughs> part at the end there, <laughs> yeah, I got news for you. I always thought it was Chappelle. It isn't. It's iced tea. But you know what? <laughs> I'm good with that. <laughs> I saw that clip come by and I'm like, I have to send this to you. Bottle of Brown Origins. <laughs> anyway, tonight's top story comes to us from abcnews.go.com, and this one warms my heart. It's dated April 17th, 2023. While some students skip college, trade programs are booming. While almost oh, every sector of higher education has fewer students registering for classes, many trade programs are booming. Ooh. Working with their hands, getting dirty, salt of the earth. The article begins, it's almost 4 p.m. at the Nashville branch of the Tennessee College of Applied Technology and the students in the auto collision repair night class are just starting their day. One is sanding the seal off the bed of his 1989 Ford F-350. Another is patiently hammering out a banged up fender. A third, Siobhan Jones is taking a break from working on his 2003 Lexus IS300 to chat with some classmates. While almost every sector of higher education has fewer students registering for classes, many trade programs are thriving. Jones and his classmates, seeking certificates and other short-term credentials, not associate degrees, are part of that upswing. Trade programs are often more affordable than a traditional four-year degree, students note, and for many, skilled trades offer a more obvious path to a job. Mechanic and repair trade programs saw an enrollment increase of 11.5% from spring 21 to 2022, according to the National Student Clearinghouse. In construction trades, enrollment grew 19%, and in culinary programs, it grew 12%. Meanwhile, overall enrollment declined 7.8%, at public two-year colleges and 3.4% at public four-year institutions. In Tennessee, state's overall community college enrollment took a hit during the pandemic despite a 2015 state program that made community college free. But at the Tennessee College of Applied Technology, a network of 24 colleges that offer training for 70 occupations, many trade programs have continued to grow. At TCAT Nashville, several programs have waiting lists. And the college has added night classes to meet demand, said Nathan Garrett, president of the college. TCAT focuses on training students for jobs that are in demand in the region, which appeals to many students in normal times. But Garrett said the pandemic may have underscored the need for workforce relevance. Thoughts on this? Well, I've said it in the past. I think this is the only way. This is, we can't, we can't have an entire population that went to university. That doesn't make us a great population. It doesn't make us a powerful one. It doesn't make us an effective one. Uh, it just makes us all the same. And the only way that we're going to be able, I mean, if you think about it, like medical school is a trade school. It's just really expensive and makes you go through university, but it's a trade. Medical science is a trade. Um, but it, for whatever reason, holds a certain level of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? A clout or yep. respect gravitas. or gravitas. There you go. Um, but I would, I would argue that, you know, these guys climbing up on these ridiculously high windmills and doing maintenance on those things or, um, you know, climb, what was that one story he pulled a year ago? The guy that was on that one hour, he climbed, had to climb up. It was like an entire day job. He has to like pack two meals just to climb up that tower and do the fix. Oh, to uh, change the light bulb. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's nuts. The, what what these people do and it's um it's 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 pretty badass if we're we're getting more skilled plumbers and electricians and 
we need we need these trades people out there. We need them, and we're desperate for them. Yeah. And I will tell you, as a property manager, I spend a lot of money on them. They're making they're making good money, and they're business owners. And uh, I just I think it's if you have no interest in going to university and being in debt for the rest of your life, uh, and you want to start making money uh, and you know, you graduate into adulthood <laughs> with a little bit of softer landing. I, I think it's a, it's the way to go. I, I say this, having a liberal arts degree, we don't need more liberal arts degrees. We need people that want to do the trades. You know, a welder can make like 120 grand a year. Uh, somebody in a machine shop can make a lot of money. That's, that's a trade that requires a, a minor certification and a bunch of time as an apprentice and a journeyman, but it's good money. It's a good job. Mm-hmm. It is. I wonder what we're going to, to college now would go for like with uh, and just just in my very brief experience using I started using Chatty TV this week um to write articles for my blog for my website and it's astonishing and it just shows how irrelevant so many jobs are going to be particularly when it comes to content creation it's there's nothing art wise or or um you know creative writing writing wise that that it can't do. And those capabilities are just going to keep increasing exponentially. I mean, it'll be mind blowing what we've seen a year and a half, two years, the kind of things, if you weren't blown away by the news stories that you saw, I mean, Eminem singing a song about cats, wasn't Eminem at all was impressive enough, but it really kind of begs the question, like what are people going to do in 25, 30 years in terms of what we consider work now? I think that's going to change dramatically. And I don't know. I don't know. Um, I'm glad that I'm not in a position where I'd be, where I'm, I'm trying to decide what to go to school for. Cause I, I have no idea what to do. And I'd, I'd be terrified of this thing right now because it's going to, it's just going to gobble up jobs left and right. Well, I'll mm-hmm. tell you what chat GPT can't do is fix a leaky pipe. So that's the true. demand I, is out there. It can tell you how to fix a leaky pipe. <laughs> true. Yeah, but it's not going to lift a busted water heater for you. Yeah. Yeah. So here's a good one here. Braden Johnson, 20, who's in his fifth trimester studying industrial maintenance automation, has had the chance to work as an electrical maintenance technician in a local factory that makes tubes for toothpaste. He's working the night shift, which comes with a slight pay bump and is earning about 26 an hour. You can't get 26 an hour at the bank. And in California. I'm sure you can get 26 an hour at In-N-Out in California. Mm -hmm. But this guy's in Tennessee. No, it's, it's, it's. Skilled labor. I mean, I know what I'm, I'm paying people, you know, I, I pay, if you, if you have a plumber come out for an emergency and they'll come out and they'll charge you 150 bucks drive time, even if it's 15 minutes, they'll charge you $150 an hour uh, while they're out there with a minimum of usually an hour or two. And uh, they, they don't have to work that hard. And the better you are at it, <laughs> the more money you make and the less effort you do. So, I mean, that is the dream, right? To be your own boss, to to not have to bitch about your coworkers that aren't pulling their weight, to not deal with the bureaucracy. And in a lot of ways, right or wrong, I don't know. This is this. There's no science behind this, but I feel like we've talked about it in the past, the mental health crisis that's going on in the world mm-hmm. seems to go very much along the lines of people in these, like myself, in corporate environments. I just feel like that the human body needs to be active and do stuff and can't just sit and stress about things and look at things and stress and stress. We need a stress release. We need to do things. And I'm not saying all trades require a lot of physical labor. I'm just talking about plumbers specifically, but I think, I think there's something to it. You know, I just feel like a good hard day's work. <laughs> it may not always be great on your body, but your brain's a little bit better. Yeah, I agree. That wraps up our top story. Let's get to the crank file. I could look for something in the crank file. Crank file. Whatever. Tonight's crank file comes to us from NBCNewYork.com. This one I've been following for a while, boys. This one's dated May 5th, 2023. This is the curious case of the New Jersey pasta dump. You guys aware of this? Yeah. Um, I need to be caught up. The township's public works department cleaned up the mess, and now we know how it got there in the first place. What is that mess, you ask? There are now some answers regarding a fascinating macaroni mystery in a New Jersey town that has captivated the internet. 
It all started when hundreds of pounds of pasta was found by a city council candidate along the banks of the Irsic Brook in a wooded part of Old Bridge, New Jersey. Keith Rost, who lives nearby, said there was likely about 200 pounds of alphabet noodles and spaghetti just left there. No meatballs, no sauce, just mounds and mounds of pasta. And while the pasta appeared to be wet and limp in pictures, it wasn't like that when it was dumped there. The pasta was raw, but then the heavy rains over the weekend came, making the mounds look like they had been cooked before being dumped. Neighbors said that the oodles and noodles came from a nearby home that is up for sale. A military veteran moving out of his mother's home after her death seemingly found a stockpile of old food. I mean, I really feel like he was just trying to clear out his parents' house and they were probably stocked up from COVID said neighbor Keith Roast, saying it's a generational thing. My grandparents always had a cupboard full of cans and pasta just to be safe. No matter the facts of the matter, the picture still went viral with captions saying things like, the lead suspect is a man by the name of Al Dente. Priceless. And don't forget his partner in crime, Lynn Greeny. Awesome. Others wondered if whoever did dump the food will be sent to the penitentiary. Oh, whoa. I see what you did there, Dad. Joke alert. And if it wasn't known, if what was left there was pasta expiration date. <laughs> I'm impressed when they can mark rotini into a pun <laughs> trial rotini but in reality it's no laughing matter to the neighbors i just moved in right next door so that we would have to been a, a big mess to start cleaning up all the flies in the house and maggots fortunately the township's public works department cleaned up the mess and hauled it away leaving just a handful of noodles lying around the mayor told nbc new york that the case is closed on the pasta peculiarity saying no harm no fun yeah, could have gotten some punnier than that well, this was the resolution article. The, the other two articles I found was, what the fuck? There's 200 pounds of pasta next to a brook in a strange little town in New Jersey. It's like an M. Night Shyamalan movie. And then subsequent articles after that were all conspiracy theories about it's the pasta mafia. Uh, that's that's awesome. I Did I ever tell you the time when I was doing a uh, RV trip when I was a kid and we were in, I don't know, we were on one of these long stretches of nothing, probably Texas somewhere. And uh, there's just nothing on the road. And then we, what looked like a pile of cheeseburgers, not, not the buns, just the patty with cheese on it in quantities of like 150 to 200 in piles on the side of the freeway. And we're like, that's what it looks like, but it can't possibly be. And after we came across like the sixth one, we said, okay, we got to know. We pulled over, went outside, and it was definitely cheeseburgers. No reason whatsoever. And it's haunted me my whole life. So I'm glad that somebody got to the end of this, this pasta guy who may or may not be related to the cheeseburger guy that I, I had to deal with early in my my life. Just a shit ton of cheeseburgers on the side of the road? Yep. No buns. Like this is like before Atkins even existed. Like somebody was just dumping cheeseburgers. Oh. It's a lot of effort. They cooked them and then put them on the side of the highway. With the cheese. Piles. And then tossed them. With the cheese. Yeah. American cheese. Oh. I don't understand. Savages. Uh, yeah. I think this is why other countries hate us. We keep so much food. You just put it on the side of the road. <laughs> that wraps up the crank file. Let's uh, let's get to some uh, let's get to some here of the week. Of the week. <laughs> this one was just special. So it comes from the New York oh, Post, yeah. who, who loves to keep an eye on the great state of Florida. And since we retired our Florida segment in exchange for Hero of the Week, we're going to go back and visit the great Sunshine State. Florida man wins women's poker tournament. (laughs) The article begins, he needed a better poker face. A Florida man is facing backlash after competing in a women's poker tournament and winning. (laughs) Was he the only male? (laughs) David Hughes participated in a $250 buy-in Ladies No Limit Hold'em event at the World Series of Poker's Ladies event at the Seminole Hard Rock Hotel and Casino in Hollywood, Florida over the weekend. And social media was quick to skewer the gambler, the Las Vegas Review Journal reported. Hughes, a 70-year-old man from Delton, Florida, was allowed to enter the all-female tournament alongside 82 women. Let him live. Per its anti-discrimination legislation, Florida casinos by law cannot ban men from entering into a women's tournament. Loophole. Nevada also prohibits excluding men from competing in a women's tournament. Hughes took home $5,555. Beating oh, out the smile on his face. Beating out poker player Diana Chabaton. Nailed that one. Who plays second? <laughs> 
uses disregard for the all-female competition set off a wave of controversy. Playing at the WTB... WPT ladies event today and Dave here is the only man while we appreciate the dead money I really wish men would get what these events stand for so I put a $300 bounty on his head and Tamara and Noah Pitterett matched it that was Ebony Kenny on I presume Twitter uh, pro poker player Ebony Kenny took to Twitter to put out a bounty which rewards players for trying to eliminate another on Hughes Dave here is the only man while we appreciate the dead money I really wish you would get to what these event stands for uh, it pokes fun at the idea that anybody can identify as a woman and be allowed to enter women's spaces. Carol wrote, it does suck that it comes at the expense of the women's only space. I wouldn't do it. He added, it does speak loudly to the insanity that's playing out on a larger scale. Number one, hilarious that he won. Number two, it po fo pokes fun at the idea that anybody can identify as a woman and be allowed to enter women's spaces. Poker Hall of Famer Linda Johnson said via Poker News, I love ladies only poker tournaments. I would have no problem with them having a men's only and I wouldn't enter as I would not qualify for it. She added that she would have no qualms about a tournament for 26 year old motorcycle riding mohawk haircut scissors seniors and I wouldn't enter it because I wouldn't qualify. Hughes isn't the first man to go all in on women's poker tournament. World Former World Series of Poker Circuit event winner Abraham Karatki won the pot in a ladies no limit hold'em event at Atlantic City's Borgata poker open. Oh, so many, so many things going through my head. And I'm Gender just trying is to put fluid, them in. Sir. Gender is fluid. It is. And it's it's a troll move. I mean, he he did it on purpose to troll and ended up winning, which is the hilarious part. But I think that on some level, when I'm thinking seeing stuff like this, I get uh, when you have sporting events that are separated by gender because of the physical attribute difference between the sexes, I get that. And I'm, I know I'm butchering up gender and sex and all that. And I apologize to anybody I'm offending out there. That's I'm still catching up on what's, what's going on. But, uh, this, this doesn't seem to qualify or meet that criteria. Like it's, there's no physical activity. It doesn't, I don't really understand why they would you would need a woman only. So it's kind of funny to me, honestly. Nobody's really getting hurt. No, I mean every, everything about it is the spirit of the event. And this guy, who's seventy years old, who apparently had nothing else better to do, decides to come in and crash a women's tournament because discrimination. There's there's Think nothing about, that's, there's nothing in the article that says anything about how he he identifies as a woman or that there's anything at all. He, he was just like, no, oh, he you doesn't. can't keep me out. Yeah, it's because I can. There's a lot of people out there. I'm doing it because I can. Nope. Not because it's right or because I even want to. It's just because I want to prove a point and I can. It's American. <laughs> it's, I, I don't know. Mid, you, you, you're silent on this one and all I can see is your forehead. So I'm going to need. Uh, I, I think uh, loophole is the integral term here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there, there's got to be there's got to be some uh, some pushback to all the anti-discrimination stuff. And there's nothing more beautiful than an old bald white guy competing in a in an all-female poker contest and winning gotta love it yeah um, I, I can i can appreciate it the double-edged sword cuts both ways so mm -hmm. anti-discrimination means anti-discrimination <laughs> so you can exactly. see the, imagine the amount of shit talking was going on at all the tables oh i would imagine there's tons of shit talking going on but if you look at this video that they posted on the site everybody's smiling they're all having good fun with it i mean if anybody's pissed off that they blew no the hypocrisy is unfathomable yeah see people are having fun with it on twitter but again i mean it's it's a 250 dollar buy-in you know and, and let's let's get to another point that we haven't addressed yet ladies fucking step up 250 dollar right, buy-in you can take him beat him only in florida <laughs> And I should, I'm more surprised it's in Florida. I mean, the, I would say the stigma of Florida is that they um, feel like that they they're a little bit more on board with the discriminatory stuff. And this one. Yeah, but all the crazy stories come from Florida. And Ron DeSantis is losing his shit right now. <laughs> <laughs> this is oh, a uh, pretty boy. typical example of Florida. Yeah, this this is spot on. This is and he does look like Santa. It's. He's got a, he's got some big rings on him too. Like he's, he does look like Santa. Yeah, he does have some finger jewelry too. He looks, like some, Santa. Some, he looks like Santa on vacation. Well, he's Santa who's $5,000 yeah. richer. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, it's not a massive pile of money either. You hear about these poker tournaments and buy-ins are more than the 5,000 he won. Still funny though. No. Thank you. Uh, what is your name here? David Hughes, 70 years old, Delton, Florida. <laughs> that wraps up here in the week. Let's get to some adulting. How old are you guys?
We're not fucking kids anymore. On a scale of one to ten, how would you rate your pain? Everything hurts. I'm a grown ass man, dog. I pay taxes here, fucker. We're not like you. We're grown ups, motherfucker. When 900 years old, you reach look as good you or not. Hmm? This one also comes just from abcnews.go.com. This is for all you parents out there that don't know how to shut the fuck up during a Little League game. Town forces argumentative parents to be umpires at Little League games. This one just makes my heart sing. Parents have been caught on camera yelling and fighting with game officials. The article begins, Little League season is underway and one New Jersey town is introducing an ingenious new rule to crack down on misbehavior after parents were caught on camera berating and yelling at referees and umpires at youth games. Referees and umpires are often volunteers, and there's been an increase in resignations with the rise in shouting matches. It's an issue impacting Little League players in Deptford Township, New Jersey, a suburb of Philadelphia, where two volunteer umpires have quit in the last week. They're coming here. They're being abused. They don't need that. So they're walking away. Deptford Township Little League President Don Bazufi told Philadelphia ABC station WPVI, the sounds of South Jersey. So now the Little League officials in Deptford Township have created an innovative new solution to combat the trend. If a parent or another spectator fights with an umpire, they have to volunteer to officiate themselves for at least three games. You're not allowed to come onto our complex until you complete three umpire assignments. Once you do that, then we'll let you come back. People are very comfortable making officials uncomfortable, so it's about time we reversed the trend and started making people uncomfortable who are harassing officials, said Brian Barlow, who founded Offside, a Facebook page that calls out bad behavior among youth sports parents. Some parents in Deptford Township seem to be on board with the new rule. If the parents are going to be sitting there yelling the whole entire game, they might as well use that energy out on the field. Caitlin Tokley, local resident and mother, told WPVI. Little League International President and CEO Stephen Keener says he thinks the solution is a home run idea. Little League International expects its participants and fans to adhere to the highest level of sportsmanship while attending local league events. We applaud the volunteers at Deptford Township Little League for coming up with a creative, fun solution to shine a light on the importance of treating everyone with respect on and off the Little League field. What do you guys think about that? Well, I think it's I a, would, we need to implement this in other in other areas. How exactly? Yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Mitch. Uh yeah, like what? Where else can where else can we do this? Like if you're caught speeding above like 30 miles an hour above the uh, speed limit, you have to sit with a radar gun for like eight hours for a weekend. <laughs> just just appropriate punishment for people to understand what the other side is dealing with on a regular basis. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think that they're uh, they should apply to the TSA. They should apply to servers. <laughs> I think that uh, there's a lot of these situations where these people are like, look, man, I, I just, I just want to get paid and, and leave. I don't need this at all. And that's, I, I get where they're coming from. What's interesting to me is I think this is a good solution. I hope it works. I've seen the uh, other out here and in, in obviously in California, baseball is a really big deal, but uh, the, I've seen where they've flipped it. I don't know because you know, my daughter's in softball, so I don't know how your league works out there for your boys. But um, if parents are caught or being too abusive or whatever, Blue will actually talk to the coach that's on that side and say, that person has to go. If they don't go, your team forfeits and the game's over. And so the coach is now the one that has to go over and talk to Mrs. Smith or Mr. Smith and say, you got to go now. Our team's got to forfeit. And that seems to work too. Of course, they blow up and wait in the parking lot to kick, kick the poor little uh, uh, umpire's ass when they're done. But I, I, I will also say, I, how, how many practices and games uh, do the boys have? Like how often are they out there doing it? Ooh, one when, practice a week, two games a week. Okay. And that's very similar. Um, and I will tell you the difference between softball and baseball is stark when it comes to how loud it is. Mm-hmm. Softball is like loud, loud, loud. Girls are in there chanting. Everyone's chanting. Everyone's high-fiving. Everyone's constantly yell, yell, yell. The, the fans are yell, yell, yell all the time. And then when I go to the, the uh, Little League games, silence. I mean, you can hear that ball hit the glove. And it's only when a play happens is everyone allowed to celebrate, it seems like. So it's it's a very different feeling. But I, I do think that 
it got out of control uh, because, you know, the parents are giving up a lot for this and they're exhausted. They're like, I, you know, two games in a practice isn't that much. I've seen, you know, you got to take kids out at, you know, six or seven o'clock before school even starts. They got to do like an hour of practice there. Then they got to do traveling games and you got to spend on hotels and you got to, I mean, you are doing a massive investment of time. It consumes your life. And then you watch this little shit nosed kid who called a terrible play that just jeopardized your whole season and you snap. Like, I'm not condoning it, but I can kind of see how it happens because the parents had to get so involved in this that is that you the child literally took their life and said you are going to watch nothing but me play this sport for four or five months and sometimes a whole year because of traveling teams and everything else that is a nice point counterpoint because the way i look at it is at at our level there's a mercy rule so if one team scores five runs that's it innings over Mm -hmm. and then the idea is you go back and forth and some games are it's five runs five runs five runs five runs until everybody goes all right are we done can we get out of here and the coaches do the umpiring but it's some of the older kids games where they're actually doing kid pitch where one kid's pitching Mm -hmm. the other they have umpires that are on the payroll. Um, and I wonder about that rule. I got to look into it now. It doesn't really happen at our games. It, it, the way the way a seven-year-old Little League coach pitch game goes is everybody's laughing. Everybody's having a good time. Everybody's there to see the kids enjoy themselves, which I think is the right way to do it because I will cheer a really good play from the other team because why are we keeping score? There's seven, right. seven years old. Who gives a fuck? And so mm-hmm. when you run into parents that are like that, so we're going through Little League International for baseball, but we go to the local mega church for recreational soccer. And there are some coaches and some parents that get really, really into it. And you're like, bro, this is the rec league of a church. Don't you have somewhere <laughs> else to be right now? They're yelling, God damn it. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> really? Come on, man. Get out of here. Go, go pay a, go pay a professional trainer and yell at them. Uh, uh, the article it's... finishes up. If the rule goes into effect and someone has to volunteer to suit up, Deptford Little League officials say a certified umpire will also be on the field to make sure that any calls are correct. The local organizers say the point is for parents to see what it's like on the field and how the job might not be as easy as it looks. Yeah, it makes sense. I support this program. I hope it works. Absolutely. Most of these parents need to be informed that their children are not going to be professional athletes. Statistically. Yeah. So really, really, really into it. Anyway, neither here nor there. That one wraps up adulting. Let's get to Leon Lowe's. So far, Danny, I haven't heard a single logical reason. No, no, don't accept this. It's frustrating. And we haven't cured cancer. We have not cured cancer. I don't know the answer. I'm just ranting about it. Leon, the floor is yours. Is today the official day that they declared the pandemic is over? Is is that what I'm understanding? It was this week for sure. It was definitely this week. Let's call it today. Which means we have to get back to some sense of normalcy. And we need to stop hiding behind this pandemic and what we did during the pandemic so that we could just function as a society. That is my prelude to say that I'm really fucking sick of these government agencies that won't get off their ass, get out and do what they have to do that allows businesses to run. You have a government that puts together all these rules and regulations. You have to, you have to check this box. You have this thing you have to do. You have to pay this on time. You have to do that. And it's always constant. And you are, you are responsible for these things. I'm saying this as a property manager that I have to deal with this. It seems like Sacramento gives me a new fucking law that I have to deal with on a constant basis. But when it comes to when the left hand won't talk to the right hand and they all are getting so backlogged, a uh, great example, elevator permits, right? You need elevator permits so that you can be safe. We all agree with that. I have elevator contracts where elevator maintenance people come out on a monthly basis and inspect it. Not required, but makes a lot of sense to me. And it covers me from a liability standpoint. Of course, insurance likes that too. So I checked that box. But because of COVID, they made the government agencies that would go out and inspect these elevators. They they didn't want to put them in harm's way during the COVID pandemic. So they didn't go out and inspect them. So they got miles and miles and miles behind. So now they're like years and years behind on inspecting these. So you don't have a certified elevator anymore, but you have a letter that says, as soon as we get to you, we will certify it. 
but that letter expires every 60 days. So you have to go reapply for a new letter from the people that are already so overwhelmed that they can't inspect it in the first place. So you're just piling up all this paperwork and they won't get off their fucking ass and go out and, and inspect the elevators. Why do I say the elevators? Because that coincides with housing authorities that require you to have an inspection certi certificate so that the people that are requiring housing assistance to get their housing assistance. So they are telling you, hey, uh, I wish I could grant it to you, but, um, and these people are desperate in need for this money. They're like, yeah, but you don't have the certificate. Well, no, I don't have the fucking certificate. Why don't you walk across the street to the other government agency that won't get off their ass and they won't even get off their ass this housing people, they used to walk in and do the inspections themselves, but now they do it over Zoom and make my personnel do it because in the name of COVID, it was less, it was, it was less safe, but it never went back. These people, won't, they, they still work from home. They, they want to do everything over, over the phone and Zoom and they expect us, the business owners and the business people out there to fill that need that so that they don't have to go out and do the job, which we didn't ask for, that we're required to do based on a law that they came up with in Sacramento. <laughs> they, they said this has to happen, and yet they have no ability to execute it, and they throw it on the business to do it, which we can't do, and then they hold you accountable. It's like this horrible, vicious cycle of nobody's left hand talking to the right hand. And so our heads are spinning like, am I going to get fined today? I don't know. I don't know. Because I don't even know which government agency I, I need to yell at or or request or go stand in line for because it, it's insanity. It's just driving me up the wall. And almost every single time, it's because these people are continuing to work from home in the name of the pandemic. I get it. We've had it episodes and shows about working from home. And I support it. When it makes sense, but you can't people have, you can't have mechanic, car mechanics work from home. You can't have plumbers work from home. If your job requires you to be in the field, get your ass in the field. That's my love. I'm fucking livid about it. hundred percent. It's killing me. It's just I've killing been, me. I've, I've been dealing with this same kind of thing. Uh, my dad and I are, are, we're trying to figure out how to convert my garage to an apartment for me to run out. Cause my neighbors across the street, I've done it, make pretty good money and I can pretty, pretty quickly um, actually pay my mortgage just by renting out what would be a four, 500 square foot apartment. So I went to the city, <laughs> been to the city three times to try to figure out how to make this work. And because of some zoning laws, I can't, I can't use the garage unless I were to attach it to the house. But in order to attach the house, I need to make basically build a structure between the house and, and the garage that is at least 10 feet wide, but the length of it can't be more than double the width of it. My garage is like 40 feet from the back of my house. So I would have to build a 20 by 40 foot <laughs> corridor <laughs> to connect my house to the garage. And I asked the question you should never ask any government employee about any rule or regulation or law on the books, which why is does it exist. Why? Yes. <laughs> Just why? Why that this thing that you're showing me? Why? <laughs> and you know, you know what the answer is? No reason, <laughs> no good reason, exactly. no, no actual no. reason. It's just what somebody wrote down somewhere, and mm -hmm. at some point, somebody at the city rubber stamped it, and now that's what you got to do. Madness. Mm -hmm. It is fucking madness. These. Unfortunately, Jesse, the part of the reason you're having, I would say, you probably have to deal with this a lot more than people in. Let's just say any other state from California than California is California is the worst when it comes to this stuff. So, so I businesses are just fleeing California in droves because it's it's just a it's just the madness of bureaucracy. Well, they set rules in opposition that can't be either implemented or enforced. Great example. Again, I think we've talked about this. Uh, Sacramento came down with a law that says in the name of being green. You know what? I love air and clean water too. So let's go. Let's, what is this new green law? Well, <clears throat> all multifamily places have to have uh, a place for green waste um, and also for uh, recycling. Okay. That's great. Uh, I don't have any more real estate. So do you want me to replace trash containers that were, are currently there? Like I can't create land. So where do you want me to put it? Well, then you'll have to replace uh, an existing trash bin 
for this new green and compostable bin. Great. What what happens when my tenants who obviously are going to throw whatever the hell they want in that bin? They're going to throw what I mean, they're going to throw a mattress in that bin. They're going to throw their trash. If the other trash container is full, they're going to fill up that one. Who's supposed to police that? <laughs> Who's supposed to make sure that they only put compostable things in the compostable one and recycling in the recycling one? How often do you think it's actually going to be filled with things that make sense? And I'll tell you right now, less than 20%. I know that. It's a fact because people are going to go with the most convenient close can to them. That's how it's going to work. And the entire industry can't comply with it. The people that pick up the trash can't comply with it. They don't have the ability to. Uh, the multifamily places don't have the real estate to put it down. So everyone's just kind of looking at each other going, what do we do here? I mean, they, they keep sending these warnings, but then you call the the waste management companies that's in charge of that city. And they're like, don't worry about it. There's nothing we can do about it. <laughs> it's just hilarious because the left hand won't talk to the right hand. They're, they're making rules that are impossible to implement. And, uh, and they, you know, I'm, I'm sure when they all signed that law into place and all high fived each other for saving the planet, uh, they didn't realize uh, there's no actual way to execute this. So, uh, but they do feel good about it and I'm sure they'll throw it in their next campaign commercial and everyone will go, yeah, that, that really did the planet good, but it's an unenforceable. It's unexecutable. And that's one example, but I could, easily do 10 podcasts of nothing but these ridiculous <laughs> unattainable laws that can't be done they just can't be done but people who have no knowledge whatsoever about how to do it are the ones writing the rules for everyone that has to do it and that is where we're struggling big time and yes Mitch that is why people are in mass exodus out of the state because everybody wants to follow the rules but you can't follow the rules if they're impossible to follow so it just throws an amazing amount of stress on you that's All very right. frustrating man thank I'm you for that very for cathartic you. I'm frustrated oh, for USA. you <laughs> well I'll tell you what I think right now would be a good time for some happy times <laughs> This one comes to us from NPR, National Public Radio. I'm Audie Cornish. Government-funded station. Yeah. Funded by viewers like you. <laughs> he played more than 1,100 minor league games and finally made an emotional Major League Baseball debut. Yes. This one's dated April 27th, so this happened less than a month ago. During his 13-year career, baseball player Drew Magi has seen plenty of pitches. Over more than 1,150 career games, he stepped up to the plate nearly 4,500 times and taken five figures worth of balls and strikes. But Wednesday night was different. I can't explain how I was feeling in the box. I didn't even know what to do. Magi said after the Pittsburgh Pirates 8-1 win over the Los Angeles Dodgers, his very first under the spotlights of a Major League Baseball team after a career spent in minor league ball from Bradentown, Florida to Charleston, West Virginia to Tulsa to Little Rock and most recently Altoona, Pennsylvania. Magi has been the epitome of a baseball journeyman playing season after season in the minors, dreaming of his shot in the big leagues. After more than a decade, that moment finally came Wednesday night as the pirates headed into the bottom of the eighth inning with a seven run lead. Pittsburgh's manager turned to 33 year old Magi to let him know he'd be going in as a pinch hitter. My heart started pumping. I was like, this is it. This is the moment. Take a deep breath. He stepped onto the field, adjusting his batting gloves, paused to hear the crowd chanting his name. Magi, Magi, Magi. Throughout the journey, I thought I'd make my debut and it would be a normal at-bat, obviously special, but the crowd cheering my name. I got my parents here, he said later. I mean, this is unbelievable. His first yeah. swing sent the ball far into deep foul territory, delighting the crowd. Second pitch, second foul, a third a ball, and then a strikeout, swinging uh, on the final pitch. I got a As he jogged off the field, the crowd gave him a standing ovation, his parents among them. Magi was drafted in the 15th round of the 2010 draft by the Pittsburgh Pirates. He spent five seasons in their minor league organization, then moved on to stints with several other organizations, including the Angels and the Dodgers. Working conditions in the minor leagues have long been tougher than the majors. Even as the average MLB salary has topped $4 million, most minor leaguers earn between $400 and $700 per week and are paid only during the season, forcing many to get part-time jobs other parts of the year. 
In 2021, in his 11th season as a minor leaguer, Magi was called up to the majors for the first time by the Twins. Speaking to reporters that year, Magi said the watching teammates get called up while he stayed behind had left him feeling like Sam Wise Gamgee, the supportive best friend of Frodo Baggins in The Lord of the Rings. You get a lot of mental doubt. You just have to keep going. It's kind of been my motto. Keep going. It's from Lord of the Rings. That's probably been <laughs> my motto no matter what. No matter all the hard times, just keep going because you never know. Still, Magi never saw playing time with the Twins that season, nor in 2022 when he signed with the Phillies. He was traded back to the Pirates later that season, returning to the team that first drafted him. On April 23rd, the Pirates brought Magi up to the active roster. The first two games were narrow victories, a 2-0 win over the Reds and an 8-7 loss to the Dodgers, and the team didn't play him. With his first major league at bat under his belt, Magi crossed another item off the bucket list on Friday. The Pirates named him to their starting lineup at third base. Oh, wow. Does he have any hits now, though, I wonder? He's got nothing. He's just got mm. 11 years in the trenches. Mm. Well done, Drew Magi. Welcome to the big leagues, pal. They need to make a movie after this guy. Absolutely. He's like, he's like the, uh, team lazy. Uh, good, good story. You know, I do feel better after that. Little. Thank you. I need that. Restore that my faith up. in humanity. Yes, it does. That's what happy times is for. That wraps up happy times. Anything else on the agenda that we haven't covered boys? Anything worthy of discussion? Uh, no, I don't, I don't think so. All right, Mage, you're going to get your audio fixed for next time, right? This is important. <laughs> Yeah, no, I just, I just gotta get, I just gotta get a headset. We need you as an active you participant. Could, you could hear me. Okay. You could hear me okay through the mic, right? Yeah, you're all right. You could be better. Yeah, you're all right. I just, I just need to get the headset. Well, the, the mic was working. The mic sounds the way it's supposed to. Yeah, when you put it up to your I mouth. Thought it was. I thought it looked sounded fine. Yeah. 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 I'll, have it, I'll have it mounted and everything. I just tonight I wanted to make sure it was just working because yeah, I have technical issues and how to take it all down. And, and I tell yeah. Leon not to do this, but you should start drinking before the show. <laughs> I didn't I, I'm I didn't a train wreck by the end. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I can't I'll, help it. Tonight was unusual. I, I got home at like 7.15, so, or, uh, or sorry, like 8.15. Then I was running around getting some other stuff done, but I'll start drinking beforehand. <laughs> well, great part about this medium is there's always next week. That's Serious. our show. You can email us at bottleofbrown at gmail.com. Give us a phone call, 602-529-4562. Leave a message for Danny, Leon, The Midge, or Mr. Jones, or any of our special guests. We want to hear from you. Give us ideas for content or refute anything we say on the show. If you like the show, please like, follow, subscribe, and share with a friend. We're on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Share a quiet drink with us next time. Same brown time, same brown channel. Bottle of Brown. This place is dead anyway, man. <laughs>